I was really privileged by having such wonderful parents. Just wonderful. I lost my father quite a few years ago, and I lost my mother in 2007. But they were characters, and my mother was a, a character, gentle soul. And she loved, she was very proud of us. She was very proud of me. I was the favourite, okay? I was the favourite, and I understand that. And then there was Derek, my, my next one down, and then there was the, the babe of the family, who was bigger than both of us because of his size, um, was, was down there. And my mother would love to talk about this to anyone she could. Any excuse, she'd be there talking about Kevin doing this, Derek doing that, Michael doing something else. A time came, a number of years ago, when my brother Derek got engaged. Got engaged. And he got engaged to uh, what we see in Wales, uh, Theo, his now wife, uh, she was uh, in a pop group. And uh, she was well known for being in this pop group as well, and they got engaged. So my mother was just, this was wonderful. Wonderful. So they went to tell my mother. And they said, look now, we've got engaged. Oh, Mom is wonderful, everything's great. But don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. You can't tell anyone until we've told Theo's parents. You don't. Oh, right, 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 right. No, no, no I, won't, I won't say, I won't say anything. No, no. Next day, I was coming downstairs. My mother was on the phone. Here she was on the phone like this. Yes, yes, Derek, he's got engaged, yes. Engaged to Theo, yes, Theo. She, yes, she sings in the Pererin, the band. I'm at the top of the stairs. My mother was like this. I always remember like this. Yes, Theo, yeah, on, got, she got. So I, I just couldn't believe this. So then she eventually puts the phone down. And I said, who was that? And she said it was the local radio station. She'd put it on the radio. And I said, Mum, you can't do that. You promised you wouldn't say, oh, well, nobody listens to Swansea Sound anyway. And that was her excuse. The point was, she had some good news. And she was going to tell that good news. No one was going to stop her, including me or my brothers. She had something she was excited about and she wanted to share. It's a natural thing in life. If you've got good news, to share it with someone else. As I was preparing, I, I, I thought of another character in my hometown. And we knew her as Auntie something. And she's passed now a long time. She was with the brethren. She was a character. Great Christian, but unique. Unique. And if you bump into her in town, she was generally walking with bags. She walked like that. 
with piles of bags because she loved shopping. She loved it. She loved shopping. And um, if she'd see you when you started talking, she'd be telling you all the bargains she got. How she walked to Tesco's instead of going to another shop and saved tuppence on a pound of potatoes or whatever. She loved it. So she saw people coming and she got excited about telling them of how much she had saved. She had good news. And today, I want to speak of Christianity as good news. Good news. The beginning of the Gospel of Mark reads like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I've got one question I want to answer this morning. Why is Christianity good news? The Greek word is evangelion. Good news. Why is it good news? For many people, it doesn't seem like good news. For some people, they look at Christianity and it's all about giving things up, especially in Lent. Or it's about not being able to do things that you really love to do, but you shouldn't. Your mind might go back to childhood, sitting in a long service or a shorter service. Our services in the Welsh Congregational Church were, what about an hour? The prayers were very, very long. And generally, during prayers, I would nod off to sleep. I didn't really even understand the summer. I, I didn't want to get into it. I, I just really wasn't interested. I never listened to sermons. I came to church. I never listened. I actually, I can remember before becoming Christian, I only listened to two sermons in my church. One was my uncle came to preach, so I had to listen. And secondly, my Welsh teacher came to preach. So I thought I would listen to what they said because that was different. But generally speaking, Christianity, good news. No, I had to get up earlier and go to chapel. Nah, I didn't like it. Not good news. By now, I think it's good news. I really do. And that doesn't mean that the Bible is just good news. Actually, the Bible's full of some bad news as well. If you go to the prophetic works of the Old Testament, maybe Amos, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, if you go to these, you will see some bad news. In other words, God is against certain things nations were doing, and sometimes individuals. And the New Testament has its hard passages. Jesus himself uh, preaches against the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. And I tell you, he holds nothing back. Wasn't good news for them. <laughs> Not at all. Pretty hard going. They were messages of judgment. But even the messages of judgment were meant to lead you to the good news, if you get the point. In other words, the messages of judgment in the Old Testament, the messages of judgment even in Jesus, were meant to lead you further on to understanding what the good news was all about. 
It was like shouting, turn around, you're in danger. I love disaster movies. I don't know why. Love them. And one of the ones, one of the ones I've enjoyed over the years is the Poseidon Adventure. And I've seen the original and I've seen the remake. And in that, you've got two groups of people. Some saying, this is the way out. And the others saying, no, we can stay here and it's okay. And there's two groups. And they're arguing with one another. And one group says, no, we've got to go this way. This is the only way to get out. And the others say no. And they begin to argue about it. And they begin to argue about it because one group is warning the other group of impending sinking. And the reality is this. That when the Bible speaks about judgment and warns about not doing it this way or that way, it's to save us from catastrophe. And it's to bring us to a saving knowledge of his love. Now, for those of you who are just here or just listening in on a one-off, uh, uh, this is part of a series on the church, uh, the church confession of faith. And our church confession of faith, uh, we've gone through God, we've looked at God, what Jesus did, Holy Spirit, etc. And now we're looking at salvation. And our short heading is this. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone. That's what we believe as a church, in case you didn't know. We believe that salvation is by grace through faith alone. And the verse underneath that is, is this. It's one of my favorite verses from Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I love that. Not of works, the old King James, lest any man should boast. And I'm going to say uh, this morning, before I go into the note, do you know when I speak about salvation, when I speak about myself being saved, I am not boasting in myself. The good news is I don't need to boast in myself because salvation is the gift of God to everyone who believes and accepts that gift through faith. Now, salvation's a good word anyway. Even by itself. Salvation is a nice word. It's a good word. Great word. Because if you get saved, maybe in the Poseidon adventure, or the towering inferno, I, it's a bit of a theme here of disaster movies, but there we are. Uh, I don't think there was a remake of the towering inferno. Or was there? I'm looking around. There was a remake? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. Anyway. Or maybe the, the world catastrophe of 2012 should have been named 2020, but that's besides the point. And, and in these, you talk about people being saved from the disaster. It's a great word. Great word. Wonderful word. And the theology of salvation is a great theology to understand. Because it's a salvation to something good, from something Bad. 
a salvation from spiritual death to spiritual life. An escape from judgment to freedom. And instead of punishment, blessing. And we could go on. Traditional Orthodox Christianity is first and foremost about salvation. Salvation. Being a Christian is about experiencing that salvation. That's what a Christian is. We could even say that being saved is what makes you a Christian in the first place. You don't get Christians who are not saved and Christians who are saved. People who are saved are Christians. It's the definition or a definition, one of the definitions of, of being a Christian. Let's go back to Ephesians to a tiny bit of bad news. Here's a bit of bad news, okay? Before and after. Verse 3, chapter 2. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Bad news. We've been caught by God. God knows what we've been up to. And God is angry towards our sin. But then the good news comes in chapter in verse 4 and 5. I just love saying these verses. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's good news. Not because you're any good. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Neither am I. And Christianity, in its basic form, is about salvation. You see, lots of people will criticise evangelical churches and say, well, you're always talking about saved and you're in all these different things. Why? Because that's what it's about. That's why Jesus went to the cross to save us. He didn't go to the cross just because it was an example, which it was. But he did that. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I, I always encourage you every few months to read Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan. And it's a wonderful allegory of the Christian life. And the basic story, the basic fiction, it's a fictional story, an allegory, is of Christian leaving the city of destruction and making his way to uh, the city of God. And it, it goes in, it, it, it talks about that, it talks about that experience. It's all about being saved. I recommend that book to you. If you haven't read it, you're missing out. You really are. In Wales, in the 19th century, every Christian family would have a library. Very small library, <laughs> but they would have a library. And most Christian families would have these books. Family Bible. They would have Thomas Charles's Bible Dictionary. They would have the works of the great hymnist 
Williams Pantacalin. They would have a, a translation of the Puritan work, William Gurnall in Complete Armour. And they'd have a large volume of Pilgrim's Progress. Huge volume, like a family Bible. And very often, they had all the works of Bunyan translated into Welsh. Now, that's not a large library. But I tell you, in Wales, it was a well-read library. And a few books well-read and understood are better than a whole amount of books which stay on the shelf. It's not how many books you've got, it's how many you've read and, and taken to heart that really count. I've worked it out. Well, I don't need to work it out. I haven't got enough life left to finish all the books I bought. I haven't got enough life left. And uh, my dear wife tells me every now and again, she's looking at me, um, uh, she, she says this, she says, oh, I'm looking forward to the second coming. You know, she says that. And then I tell her, I'm not, Gwen, simply because I want to finish the classics in literature first. And then Gwen comes back and she says, there's going to be a library in heaven. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I hope there is. I hope there is. I can't prove that. I can't prove that. But I've got a few books I need to read before that day. But here's the question. How are we saved then? How are we saved? We're talking about it. What, what happens? How are we saved? It's a, it's a question asked by the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, 13. He said, speaking to Paul, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the saved in that context is not just a, a being saved from the jail, but being saved in his faith. And the answer given to him is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That is, if your household believes. It's not automatic. It's no automatic salvation. And we could sum up the answer this morning. I want to be simple this morning. I really do. Nothing heavy this morning in that sense. How is someone saved? How does someone gain eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. How about that? For straightforward. Some of you might say, oh, well, I'm not a big theologian. I don't understand that. You don't need to be a big theologian to understand that. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I was, I, was, I was thinking, what passage shall I take? What passage shall I introduce so that everyone can walk over the passage? And it's there. I hope you do. Do you like the fact that the passage our reading is now printed? It's really handy. And just remind you that uh, when the reading comes, the reading is there so that you can follow uh, every Sunday. Not that you haven't got Bibles. You can do that. Uh, in, on your own, of course, but for people who don't have a Bible in church, then uh, take uh, advantage, please, uh, of that. And I thought, shall I do Ephesians 2? Well, I mentioned Ephesians 2 already. Romans chapter 3, that, that's, that's, that's a gem. But I've chosen Titus chapter 3. I love Titus chapter 3 because it explains what being saved is. 
very simply. Let me just read a few verses. Just verse 4 to 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things he has done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of hope, of the hope of eternal life. That is a sum up of what it means to believe. What it means to be saved. Saved in the sense of that feeling of being saved, the Holy Spirit coming and sanctifying you and continually changing you. Being saved is, is, has a past, a present and a future. And it means well, once we're saved, we go on being saved from the effect of sin. Call it sanctification. But there's also, and this is what I'm concentrating on this morning, justification. Something that happens once and for all. When you believe, then your sins are forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross. And salvation comes to us because of that. Because of the, I'm quoting the chapter, uh, chapter 3 here, because of the kindness, the love, the mercy, the generosity, the grace of God. It's out of that that our salvation comes. We don't deserve our salvation. If I had to work for my salvation and I said I was saved, I would be bragging because I have made it. I have earned it. But it's not something you earn. Oh, this is good news. You don't earn it. It is given to you. It's not automatic. For some people in Wales used to think if they were born into some sort of Christian family and went to church, then that was all automatic. No, no, not at all. You've got to come to faith. No, we come to faith in different ways. I was saying earlier in, uh, in our Christian Church 101 that I became a Christian very suddenly, 1974. Actually, yesterday was 38 years since I became a Christian. Yesterday, March 19th, 1974. I remember the date. I remember the date, March 19th. I don't celebrate birthdays, as you know, but I had a little celebration by myself. Didn't even tell Gwen. I told her now, so it's okay. All right? But mine was a sudden conversion. I realized I was a sinner. It's a classic Billy Graham conversion. I realized I was a sinner. I came to Christ and asked him to forgive me and then believed that he had done that. I didn't come up the front or anything like that, but I did that uh, in my heart and believed that when Jesus says, come to me, and I come to him, he will give salvation. I believed it. I still do. Still do. Other people aren't so sudden. I've said before the difference between Gwen and myself is that Gwen can't remember not being a Christian. <laughs> she sort of always believed. 
She's been brought up in that Christian home, and maybe some of you were in that category. We're all different. We're all different. But we've got the question is, do I believe? It's not so much when did you believe, do I believe now? And if you're not sure that you're a Christian, I want to tell you, well, come on. <laughs> believe it now. Don't go and analyze your past endlessly. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And that in believing that, you are saved to eternal life. How about that for a good old gospel message? I love it. Love it. As every now and again, I've got to come back to that. I, I love coming back to it. I do. I love coming back to it. Why? Because it's good news. <laughs> I'm like my mum picking up that phone. And I can't help telling everybody that it's such good news. I love it. And that's why I'm willing to warn you, if you are not a Christian, then you suffer the judgment of God. We all have different testimonies. The classic testimony when it comes to justification by faith is the testimony of Martin Luther, who was converted, it's hard to say the exact year, anything from 1513 to 1516. And Martin Luther went to a monastery to save his soul. Let me read from my, uh, my old principal, Dr. Tidder Jones, in his work on the Reformation. And uh, I, I honour him by reading this. I'm just reading a little bit about the, the uh, transformation of Luther. Luther had joined the monastery to save his soul by attaining the perfection which would please God. He observed the laws of his order, which is the monastic order, to the letter and added further discipline of his own. He fasted for days, spent sleepless nights in prayer, even whipped himself. But peace of mind eluded him. The more he tried, the further he felt from pleasing God. With Luther, however, it was, he came to believe something different. Some textbooks that he read said, do what you can. But he never felt that he could do enough. Never felt he, he could do enough. And he couldn't find a gracious God. He couldn't see the love of God. He actually confesses he came to hate God. Because he felt that he couldn't make the mark. And then... I, I quote here, but Luther came to see that the sinner relies not on his good actions, but on the mercy of God, whereby the believing man is considered just through Jesus Christ. And when he saw that, this is what he said, the righteous will live by faith. At this, I felt myself straight away born afresh, and to have entered myself the open gates into paradise itself. That was his quotation. He realised he was a better man than I will ever be. But he couldn't make it himself. He had to realise that the gift of God is eternal life. So this is the good news. It was good news for Martin Luther. It was good news for me. And it's good news for you. It's good news... If you're not good enough, 
So that's all of us. It's good news, including St. Paul himself. It's good news if you're someone who doubts all the time. If you're not sure of, of work on assurance, does he love me? He loves me, loves me not, loves me, loves me not, loves me, loves me not in a spiritual way. If we believe what Christ said, we can come to him and know that he will not turn you away. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I can be sure of his love. It's good news to tell others. And it's good news for us today, those who are listening at home and those of us who are gathered in this gorgeous day here at East Baptist Church. Here is a way of salvation. Whoever you are, whoever you are. Last week, I spoke about the Nuremberg trials. And in the main trial, the first trial, 1946, I think it was, there were 21 defendants. 21 high-ranking Nazi perpetrators. At the end of the trial, three were acquitted, seven were imprisoned, and 11 were executed. These were some of the worst of the worst in World War II. Throughout the trial, the 21 defendants had access to chaplains, Roman Catholic chaplains, and a Lutheran chaplain, a man called Henry Gerecki. And they could, they could meet with the chaplain. Well, they didn't have much to do. Waiting, you know, going to trials, etc., etc. And they began to talk about faith. Some of them for the first... Well, some of them going back to a faith they'd left. Two books I'm going to recommend on, on this. One is called The Cross and the Swastika by F.T. Grossmith. Uh, came out in 1984. And the latest one called Mission at Nuremberg by Tim Townsend, 2014. Brilliant read. A brilliant read. And in this, they tell the story of those 21 how they reacted to the gospel. These are the worst of the worst. And according to the chaplain's stories, a number of these evil men came to trust in Christ for their salvation. I've talked in the past about uh, uh, one of them. I, I, I'm not going to mention him today. I've chosen someone else. I've chosen a guy called Wilhelm Keitel. If you've done any World War II studies, you will know that uh, he was the chief of the German high command. Devoted to Hitler. Known as a yes man. He would sign away thousands of people's lives. He was a war criminal. He signed orders to make the war in the East the most ruthless war of modern history on the Eastern Front. He refused to fight by the Geneva Convention. He called for brutality. He told his troops that they were to be merciless 
And if it meant killing women and children, if that was success, that's okay. He ordered that political commissars of the Russian army, if they were caught, they would be killed straight away. Villages that even fed partisans were burnt down and the people killed on his orders. On the Polish campaign of 1939 that set it all going, he made sure of the extermination of the Polish intelligentsia, along with priests, pastors, nobles. Not a nice man. <laughs> okay. William Keitel. On his first visit, the Lutheran chaplain, Henry Gerecki, came in to Keitel's room. And he was reading a Bible. And Keitel looks up to him and says, I know from this book that God can love a sinner like me. Obviously, he'd had some time to think. And he asked for spiritual guidance. As the weeks went on, I quote, and this is Gerecki, he knelt, describing Keitel, he knelt beside his cot and read a portion of scripture. Then he folded his hands, looked heavenward, and began to pray. He spoke penitentially of his many sins and pleaded for mercy by reason of Christ's sacrifice for him. The day comes when he's to be executed. Gerecki goes into his room and they pray together. And this head of the army turns to Gerecki and says, you have helped me more than you know. May Christ my Saviour stand by me all the way. I shall need him so much. And just before his execution, Gerecki walks with him to the gallows. And they pray this prayer. Christ's blood and judgment are my adornment and robe of honour. Then I will stand before God. In them I will stand before God when I go to him. I will wear the robe of the righteousness of Christ. Of Christ. And his last words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Some people might say, he didn't deserve to be saved. No, he didn't. Of course he didn't. <laughs> Neither do you. Neither do you. So don't start. <laughs> you don't either. And some people will say, well, maybe he, maybe he wasn't genuine. We don't know what was going on in his heart. That's right, I don't know. I can't say. But what I do know is, if he did believe, he is saved. As saved as anyone else. Because he is not saved by his goodness, but by the goodness of Christ. And that's the good news. 
if the head of the German Wehrmacht, a war criminal, can be forgiven completely of his sins because of the cross of Christ. This is the best news in the world. And we should all be on the phone telling people of how wonderful it is. This morning, I have good news to tell you. Jesus Christ died for you. And you can be saved. Don't put it off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news this morning. Thank you that your Son died for us, gave hope to the most desperate of people. For that, O oh God, I am thankful for my own salvation. And Lord, we are thankful that it is not of works, lest any man should boast. So help us believe and continue to believe what you have provided for us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.